Welcome to the STFM Podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. In this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic family medicine about a variety of leadership topics. And now your host, Dr. Saria Carter-Sicosia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the STFM Podcast. My name is Brian Hisher, and I am pleased to be sitting in for our usual host, Dr. Sicosio. Um, the reason I am sitting in for Dr. Sicosio is because she is, in fact, our guest today. We have switched up the roles, and we are looking forward to hearing from her and what she's been doing. Um, so, Saria, welcome. Thank you, Brian. I am so excited about today. In fact, I woke up this morning thinking this is going to be so much fun switching seats on the bus. Oh, excellent. I'm glad that it uh, brings you happiness. So to get this started, uh, what I thought I would do is um, see if we can give the listeners just sort of an idea of your path as a family physician. We know that things start off in medical school, straight on to residency. And then after that, there's a lot of choices that can be made. And even from those choices, further branches take us who knows where. So would you give me an idea of what your path has been? Absolutely. And you got that right, Brian. We don't wake up one day and say, I'm a family physician after many years of training and then pop into an executive role. And in fact, when I started out in solo practice, I had no idea that first of all, I would ever leave my solo practice and venture out um, across my path and end up as an executive for many years now. So I'll give you a thumbnail sketch, Brian. I started out in solo practice because I was so passionate about patients receiving the care that they needed to receive and deserve to receive that patient-centric model. And the more I learned, the more enthusiastic I came about teaching others to do the same. When I was working with students and residents, I was so inspired by their curiosity and their wanting to do more and do the best, not only for the patient in front of them in the exam room, but like me, they cared a lot about the community. And as family physicians, we are trained to be the public health doctor. And hence my path went from there, Brian. I taught at a family medicine residency program for a while was so interested in the healthcare administrative side of delivering care that I went back to school, got my master's in healthcare administration at UNC Chapel Hill, go Tar Heels for our listeners out there, and then subsequently became a chief medical officer with several different health systems. And like many other family physicians, I had a moment during COVID. And for me, that moment was, where do I go from here? How do I continue to be a lifelong learner? And there's so much more to learn in the healthcare industry is what I discovered outside of health systems, outside of practicing medicine in the exam room, which I still do at my local free clinic, but also empowering others to come together as clinicians in partnership with the entire team, wherever you work. And hence why I find myself where I am today. And that says the East Region Chief Medical Officer at Caremore Health with Elevance. So as far as your path goes, you really had some options, but could you give us a sense of like in that moment during COVID, you had some choices to make, but where did you begin your search to go find those new opportunities? Brian, that is an excellent question. And you're absolutely right. For me, this was actually a major turning point in my career. And it's because I had always sought roles based on the job description. Of course, that's what we do. If there's a family physician role, we start there. 
and then find out more about the organization. Well, as we see across the board, the significant majority of us are employed. We are employees somewhere else. Yes, I used to own my own practice and be the owner, but for many reasons, we're in a different model and a team approach. For that reason, and what I've done differently mid-career is I have started with the organization. And I look and care very much about the values that are expressed and practiced by organizations. Then I look for the job. Because if you're in healthcare and you're a family physician, and particularly if you're a physician administrator, you can find jobs just about anywhere. So it's such a small nuance that sometimes when I first say it, people don't get that that you start with the organization that pairs up with you. But Brian, this is why I think it's important. And what I am seeing in burnout today, we know burnout is due to people getting frustrated, feeling like the actions they put in place don't equal out to a value or an impact that changes patient care in particular for clinicians. And then we start to feel stuck. And we feel that this is happening to us rather than through us. And what I quickly realized on my own journey, Brian, was that, wow, I have some control over that. And when you align with an organization that practices what they preach and aligns with your values, it makes a tremendous difference in finding the right employer for you. I can really relate to that, this notion that you might find yourself feeling where things are being sent your way. You have to be responsive, reactive, as opposed to feeling like you're able to take some control. For someone who's currently in a solo practice, is there a way to imply that idea of starting with the organization and applying that to themselves? Are, is a person in solo practice their own organization? That's a, a powerful question for us to challenge ourselves with. And I, I'm thinking back to goodness, actually, almost a couple of decades ago when I was in that role. And it is so easy to get caught up in the swarm and feeling overburdened by being responsible for every decision that happens for one, because it's your business two because you're the physician. What has been incredibly valuable for me is to recognize and realize that the burden doesn't have to fall on me and me alone. When we're practicing in a true team model, Sometimes you're the leader of the team, you're the owner, you're the captain, the manager of the team, let's say. Other times your role will be the quarterback. And that's oftentimes where the physician finds themselves. You're the quarterback of the team. You're passing the care from one team member to another team member and getting that care handled. This is what's different. When you're an owner, when you're an administrator, is you've got to recognize the people in the room and see the room for what it is. And what I mean by that is sometimes you're going to sit the bench or you're going to be a support player rather than the leader. And it depends on the material at hand. What is the agenda for the day? So let's bring it back to a solo practice. You are not necessarily the expert in your practice for managing billing. You might be, but you may have a stellar office manager who knows billing inside and out or a company that you partner with. You let them lead in that space and not feel the burden on your own. Now, if it's taking care of patients, What we are good at as physicians is assessing the condition, treating the condition. And what nurses are better at is patient education. Not that we can't do it, 
but we partner. And you see all of those roles are played out. And those who can avoid burnout are often ones who recognize what role they serve. And when you have an influence and when you don't, you mentioned the word control. And this is a lot about the frustration we have. Who's in control? Well, we all control it. We find our space. We all heard the serenity prayer, right? Give me the wisdom to know what I can change, the wisdom to know what I can't, and to know the difference. This notion that a physician can be in a position uh, where they have to play many roles, wear many different hats, but also share those hats with other people brings to mind this notion that there's a real difference between leadership and management. Um, I really like what you said about recognizing the experts in your clinic. You have people that are working with you and they're, they've joined you on this journey for either the long term or for the short term. What challenges have you come across for yourself in trying to balance that leadership versus management versus I got to get this done myself? Great question, Brian. You've got so many good ones and, and things that I'm so passionate about today. One, I want to give our readers an assignment. Please read Impact Players by Liz Wiseman. That's Impact Players by Liz Wiseman. And there are so many fabulous tips and how to be impactful. Again, whether you are the quarterback on the team or you're sitting the bench, what your role is. And one of the lessons in that book is about stepping up and stepping back. And I use that example of what role we're in. And as family physicians, I feel like we are perfectly suited for this role. We recognize sometimes we're the lead physician in the case as the family physician, as that primary care that our patients rely on. And the skill that we must develop in our training is recognizing when another physician or another resource is going to lead our patient to a better health outcome. So that is really important in the work that we do. And as physicians, if we learn how to step up and step in the lead when it's our turn to lead and know the difference when it's time to hand it off or step back, that is critical. So I want to give an example, Brian, of Cartman's Triangle. Cartman's Triangle is an example of where we often find ourselves in comfort zones. So one tip of the triangle, we have a victim someone who feels that the world is happening to them, they're frustrated, and perhaps that's true. There are appropriate moments for being the victim, same as a villain. And when you think of a victim, you think of the villain. Who's doing this to me? Who made my life miserable? But that third piece, this is where I caution all of us as physicians not to drop in because it's a safe zone for us. That's the hero. How often do we feel good about being the hero. But here's what's dangerous about that. Unless you're saving lives, again, unless you are saving lives, that's what heroes are for, right? It is not sustainable as a leader, nor as a family physician, a personal physician who can carry the burdens of a daily schedule of a patient panel or being responsible for teams. We do better when we team up, when we admit to our victimhood, or maybe we're the villain in this case. But stepping out of the hero box, meaning letting and empowering other people to solve challenges or contributing, and I'm going to say that again, contributing to a solution rather than always being the answer to the solution. It's how we're trained, Brian. Who raises their hand first? Who has the answer? That's the strongest medical student. That's the, the greatest resident. 
or the attending. No more is this a guessing game. Pimping doesn't work in this case. It's not guess what I'm thinking and I have the answers. It's how do we come up with the answers together? Mm, I love that. This notion that, um, that this triangle, you can find yourself gravitating towards one point or the other or trying to see yourself in one role or the other seems like a good way to, to maybe self-assess, take some moments to try to figure out maybe where you naturally lean towards. Is there a continuum that you see with hero where maybe there's the, the more silent in the background hero or someone who's up front a lot, sort of becoming the natural center of attention? Do you see people moving up and down that continuum? Absolutely. In fact, I do it all day long. The importance is to know that awareness, to recognize when you're above the line or below the line is important. We're often, even a hero, it sounds powerful, right? But you can be the below the line when you're solving everyone's problems. And I'm going to give the example of the exam room. When you're in the room with a patient, what do we tell our students and remind ourselves to do first? Sit down and listen. We know that the record amount of time that on average, we just sit and listen without opening our mouths is measured in seconds. And if we listen as an attending, I've heard this, I've heard this from my teachers. If you listen long enough, the patient will tell you what they need and they'll oftentimes diagnose. So sit and listen first. Sometimes those are the most powerful leaders, the leaders who don't have to speak every time they know the answer, but empower others to speak up, to do the same. So it is this continuum, if you will, or a slide rule. And the critical piece to that is the awareness. How, how, how am I showing up in this room? And I, am I speaking more often than everyone else? Is everyone having an opportunity to express their, their thoughts and ideas for solutions? And I'm going to give you one last example before we move on. During COVID, and you know, it's interesting, I, I oftentimes see the stories, whether it's a medical student or resident or physician, it's still fresh in our minds because it is creating and developing who we are today and how we step forward. Well, one story for me is in the thick of it. When we are trying to solve big issues, when we're trying to develop an outpatient model for an entire health system in the state, I would go to sleep at night going, how am I going to figure this out? And I was losing sleep and I was stressed. And I had this moment where for whatever reason, one day I went, oh my goodness, that's right. I don't have to have the solution. I may have a question. I may have ideas. But this is what I found when I let go and started showing up in the room as someone who was truly listening to what others were saying, I could bring the problem or the question. Another member of the team brings the problem or the question and we solve it together. And at the end of the day, what I found, Brian, was that the best solutions had everyone's fingerprints on it. And for that reason, I sleep well at night every night now because I realize it's not me who has to solve all the problems because I stopped heroing. And feeling that it was my responsibility. I heard from a recent speaker, um, Dr. Ka Dr. Kathy Pippis. She has done one of our podcasts, in fact. I sat in one of her uh, well-being lectures. And what she talked about was this over-exaggeration we have of ourselves, our responsibility, and importance. And oh, is that a blow to the ego? But when you echo that in your mind chamber, what you realize is that is the hero we think of ourselves as. Let go. Yeah, when I hear you mention listening as being a key component, as just being a critical part of good collaboration, it causes me to sit back, back a little bit. bit because I think it's, it's too easy for us 
in that active mindset to think that activity is talking and activity is throwing ideas out there. A lot of times activity is also listening. So I'm going to take that home with me (laughs) when we're done here, because I think I could apply that in many different areas. As far as you feel the need, let's say, in your career, maybe you're you're in solo practice right now. Uh, You have a desire to see your path change. You have some opportunities ahead of you. Can you give me an idea of maybe how necessary it is to go get additional degrees or to get further training before you take a step? One thing we're good at as physicians is being lifelong learners. And that is practice in many different ways. And what I encourage people from the beginning is identify a mentor. If there is someone in a role that interests you, that perhaps you consider yourself for, seek them out and see how they got there. And I ask folks often when I'm mentoring them, what is your ultimate goal? If your ultimate goal is to be the leader in your practice, then your experience may very well be enough. I also encourage people to reach out for physician leadership experiences. There are multiple certificates out there, ways to grow, learn, build your skill set. If you want to get involved in quality improvement, then you may want to focus on, for example, Lean or Six Sigma for black belt training. If you're desiring to be a chair of the Department of Family Medicine or a chief medical officer, and, and I've played in both of those roles, I, I feel like, yes, there are people who have done these roles without an additional master's, but it was incredibly valuable for me. And in today's world, what you will see is most physicians who are in a physician executive role will have either an MBA or an MHA or an MPH based on the work that they're doing. It's not necessary, but let's be honest. If you're throwing your hat in the ring and you're a CV or resume in a stack, an online virtual stack, if you don't have that master's and 10 other people do, you get passed over. And we know we are in this era where people are are deciding to make changes for good reasons to find a job that's fulfilling. And if that fulfilling role is an executive role, I'm going to encourage you to seek additional certification. If you don't want to jump right into a master's, try a certificate first, but challenge yourself and read, read, read. Just like we do for medicine, leadership continues to evolve and change. Whether it's the Harvard Business Review, your family practice journals, there are so many ways that we grow as leaders, but you have to continue to read. Otherwise, we grow irrelevant or stale. Mm, I like that. So when someone is considering making a change like this, entering into a new educational program, sometimes a certificate program even can take quite a bit of time. I know going for an additional master's would require a lot of time. How, how, how would you recommend someone finding balance and maintaining their well-being during a transition time, during entry onto that new path? Mm, that, that is a tough one. And what I have come to realize in the most recent years, in fact, I've dropped the work-life balance wording or phrase, and I've transitioned to life balance. If we're honest with ourselves, wherever we are in whatever place we show up, if it's in your home, if it's at work, if it's in your community, being genuine requires you to have that ultimate balance and balance changes. It's not by day, it's often by season. So I'll share my example. When I was transitioning from teaching in a family medicine residency program, 
over to the healthcare executive side as a chief medical officer. I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And I'll tell you, my husband thought I was crazy for jumping into a master's. My mother thought I was crazy. And I said, if I don't do it now, then it's going to be after my kids graduate high school. And for those who have children or children or young families, every moment counts. And I get that. What I've learned is those first few years, my kids didn't remember much and I engaged when I could. Now you asked about the balance and that is important. Balance starts with awareness and balance is when joy meets effort. And I say joy meets effort because I believe that there is joy in work. If you choose to work inside the home, outside the home, joy should be a part of that. If not, you're in the wrong role. So change that. But it starts with awareness. Do you feel joy most of the day? It doesn't mean everything is easy. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. But if you feel value in the work that you do, and if you're getting your sleep, please get sleep. Otherwise, read a study from Dr. Brian Sexton at Duke. He's going to tell you, we get stupid if we don't have at least five hours of sleep. So I, I tell you, anytime I've stayed up and know that I had to wake up and slept less than five hours, I knew I was going to be stupid the next day because Brian Sexton was in my head. So remember that. Always get at least seven hours of sleep, definitely more than five. Exercise, move your body. What I share with my team and what I encourage myself, every single day I walk. It is what brings me joy. It's what level sets my head. And I have the people that I support do the same thing. And when I see people getting out of balance, or maybe they're not bringing their best self to work, we've all misbehaved from time to time. But in order to bring your best self to work, you got to have that balance. So I've encouraged them when you're on a meeting, maybe it's a one to one, make it a walking meeting. And if you're in a virtual meeting, walk outside if that works for you. Of course, only you know that balance for you. It goes back to that balance, which is individual. But why do we say that you have to work out before work or after work? Sometimes that's the case. But I'm going to encourage folks who are in private practice take a lunch. I promise you, you'll be more productive during the day. You will get more done. And if it's an hour, take a half an hour to walk or take 15 minutes. And you got to eat a balanced diet. We know these things as physicians. Remember, we're the community docs. This is what we're teaching our patients. If we are not doing this actively and every day, we're not practicing what we we preach and we're not healthy. So we can't help others be their healthiest self. Remember, put your oxygen on first and then you turn to others. Those are good words to live by, Surya. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to share your pearl as you have given so many of your guests a chance to share their pearls. You have given us dozens of good pearls in this episode. Could you come up with one more before we say goodbye? I'll give you one, Brian, and it is a gift. And it's a gift of self, and it's called grace. Grace is necessary because life is a long path, if we're lucky. And in order to enjoy that long life of learning, of growing, of balancing, it's going to take grace. You're not going to get it right every day. You're not going to get it right every moment. As I mentioned earlier, I cycle through the victim, villain, hero story above the line, below the line all day long. And it's because we're human. And I'll give an example of just last night. Last night, I was finishing up my emails and setting things aside. And I quickly reacted to a situation and responded and then processed after. Wow. I had a moment to process and have some awareness 
and had the grace for myself to go, okay, Saria, was that your best self? What could you do different? And again, that's a small task, but think about it. How many times do we interact with people every day, whether it's a patient who we were, we felt we were so busy, we didn't look them in the eye. And then afterwards we felt guilty because what we found out was really going on is they were afraid they had cancer or their mother just died. Maybe it's a colleague. Maybe you got into an argument with a colleague and it got all out of control or it made you angry and we didn't act our best selves. Or maybe it's your partner or your children. Your children really needed you and you just couldn't focus because you had enough work to do. And maybe you just spouted off something you felt bad for later. The grace for yourself is what allows you to give grace to others. We're human, Brian. We're growing, we're learning, and we're doing it through grace day after day. And I'm grateful for that. Saria, I've got to tell you, it's been great to have you in the guest spot. And I can't wait to have you back in the host position uh, in the next episode after this one. Thanks so much uh, for sharing everything you did with us today. Thank you for turning the tables on me. It's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this opportunity to reflect, to have a chat with you today. It's so good to connect with folks and, and continue to grow ourselves. You've been listening to the SDFM podcast, produced by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. Visit us at sdfm.org and follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. This podcast is copyright Society of Teachers of Family Medicine 2023.